This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri today. Why am I in Kansas City, Missouri? Strange thing. You all listening are going to hear the entire arc of this road trip that I'm on over the next few weeks. But uh, um, suffice it to say that uh, I'm en route to Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm driving there and I'm driving back. And uh, I'm going to hit some high points along the way for some conversations with some brewers that otherwise wouldn't get out to see necessarily in person in their places. One of those is a subject of a breakout brewer story in our most recent October-November issue of Craft Beer and Brewing. Alma Mater Brewing, Nick Mater is here with me. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Um, it's nice to be here in person. Uh, you know, again, last time I was, I can't remember ever stopping in Kansas city. I have driven through Kansas city once or twice. Um, but it's been at least 11 years since I last drove oh, through, well, welcome back. through Kansas City. Uh, but we, you know, in drinking your beer, obviously we've, we've known you from a longer history in craft beer that yeah. stretches from Denver, Colorado to Seattle and now here to Kansas City. We'll tell that story here in a minute. Um, but uh, making some interesting beers and beers that have scored really well with our blind judges and kind of popping up here. So it's exciting. I'm glad to have a conversation with you about this. Before we do, like your flagship beer, you can rely on GD chillers for the same quality and consistency. GD guarantees that every chiller they build will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. They never stop, they draft, they craft, they service each and every brewery, big or small. All in an effort to build one hell of a chiller for nearly 30 years, GD has been committed to cold. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com. This episode is also brought to you by Rar North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. Rar North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweet bread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and a nutty character. It's suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let Rar North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. Speaking of craft lagers, thanks to all of you that came out at CBC a couple weeks ago and uh, came out to our happy hour Thursday, the kicking off uh, CBC at Bierstadt Lager House. Apologize for the lines. It was insane and it was a little bit crazy and we had no idea that there was going to be a line of people out the door for a lager brewery. <laughs> Only at CBC, it's the most wonderful and amazing thing there. We eventually figured out the best way to get beer to people as quickly as possible was to have a just a Hellas line. And so it was as fast. Uh, they had a you know little uh, uh, portable tap and two kegs and were just pouring two taps and they just let them run. And it was, you know, uh, glass, terrible. half liters of Hellas, half liters of Hellas <laughs> as fast as they can get them out. So uh, it was a fun event. Thank you all for joining us for that. It was fun to see everybody out there for that. Uh, but Nick, we're here in Kansas City. And uh, speaking of lagers, you all brew a few of those. We're going to talk about lager brewing. We're going to talk a little bit about hazy IPAs, I think, in there too. You guys, um, you know, play the field in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start by giving us the background on yeah. Alma Mater. Um, talk to me about your brewing arc. Yeah. So um, just real quick, you know, obviously like most people got into beer in college and did a study abroad trip that really opened my eyes towards, towards beer, especially a lot of the Trappist Belgian beers and came back to the United States and was just studying a degree uh, finance that I, I really didn't know where I was going to go with it, but, uh, uh, I didn't go far and, uh, ended up doing everything I could just to get in the craft beer world and ended up getting a gig at Boulevard Brewing Company bartending. And, uh, it also allowed me to give tours and do some sales tastings and it was a foot in the door and it was just an unbelievable experience. And at that time, my, uh, wife then girlfriend was was moving out to denver we were dating long distance she was in los angeles and 
she was moving to Denver and I, I really wanted to leave Kansas city and do something. And, and I knew that brewing scene out there was really getting going. So I moved out to Denver so we could be together and so that I could further my career in the beer industry. And, and what ended up happening, happening after a lot of, uh, persistence was I, I landed a job at Crooked Stave. Sure. Sure. Um, and it was a lot of persistence, but, um, got in there and just got on the, got in on the ground floor and it was a really exciting time for sour and wild beer in the, sure. in the U S and, uh, learned a ton and eventually realized my, my love was in on the production side. So, you know, Chad gave me that ability to, to be on the production side and to, you know, do packaging. And, and back then it operated a lot more like a winery, you know, we, a lot of fruit refermentation and, um, transferring and bottling and packaging. And we're brewing, we're offsite at that time. And, um, he also had encouraged me to do the Harriet Watt program. Right. So I, I did that from a distance, you know, I didn't want to go in more debt for school. And so I did their master's program at a distance. I do about two courses a semester. Mm -hmm. So it took about four years, but I learned a ton and it was exactly what I needed. Yeah. Um, I had always, I, I wish my undergraduate experience was as rewarding as that, but, um, it really, you know, gave me this itch to want to be more on the production brewing side. So I, uh, there was a job opportunity up in Seattle, Washington at Fremont brewing and my wife had some opportunities up there for nonprofit work. So we made the move up there and I became a brewer sellerman at Fremont. And at that time they were probably 20,000 barrels or something like that and growing at a really, really fast pace. Sure, so sure. was able to learn a lot fast. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. And eventually I got to break off and be really their R and D brewer and, and get their mixed culture program going and ultimately that was the confidence that I needed to, um, have for recipe formulation and, and the tools that I thought, um, would be necessary to open a brewery of my own. Sure. And sure. Really the dream. R and D for Fremont. There's no pressure there. It was a great job. It was a fantastic <laughs> job. I mean, um, and, and Washington Brilliant folks, great leadership and yeah. a great vision for the brewery. And, and Washington is just such a great place to brew beer in and to be yeah. a brewer in. I mean, you're so close to obviously Yakima Valley and there's grain, the grain that's grown up sure, in Washington. Sure. So that was just a, I really feel fortunate to have had that experience. And you learned uh, how to brew a fresh hop beer or two, I imagine. <laughs> just a few. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been messaging with, with some of my um, old friends up there and yeah, yeah. Fresh hop season is in full swing. And I think that first week is really exciting, but by the end, everybody's pretty worn out. Yeah. So. I think, uh, like this week we're recording this a uh, couple days before it's going to air. And I, I imagine the last of the fresh hop beers are happening right around now. Yeah. Yeah. I was just up there last week and they were, you know, harvest is a little bit later this year. So, um, I know last week they were, uh, pulling down mosaic and, and get into some other varieties, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a super exciting time of the year and there's nothing like it. It's like brewers end of summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody meet up in Yakima. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great time. So then you, uh, you and your wife decided to long, come back to Kansas city mm -hmm. where you grew up and open up a brewery here. Well, why make that decision? Yeah. So you know, it was a long time dream of mine, like a lot of brewers, you know, opening your own brewery. And I knew that, um, as long as I had those education, the education and experiences to, to do that, I, I wanted to come back to Kansas city. And I think anybody that opens up a small brewery realizes that there's such a support structure you need from friends, from family to do it. And we wanted to be really active in, you know, the setting up of the brewery and, 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 um, just, you know, we didn't have the ability to contract every single thing out. So, you know, for example, like my dad and my wife and I, like we did our entire glycol header, um, <laughs> yeah, which was yeah. a source of also, uh, some arguments <laughs> along the way, but, sure. but you know, um, we wanted, we thought there was also an opportunity here in Kansas city. It's, it's an up and coming beer city and, uh, it's a great place to be in the Midwest. And so we wanted to be a part of that. It seems like a city where, 
people become avid long-term supporters if they find you then you you find fans for a long time and yeah. uh you know boulevard certainly you know has found their fans here in kansas city kc beer company you know has been finding their fans uh you know uh same kind of thing and i think you know it's that audience that they may not immediately find you and it may take a little bit longer to to kind of build that compared to some of the the hype and excitement in some other markets but uh but then when they find you, you know, they are, they're fans. Definitely. Yeah. We, we have people that come in week after week and, you know, because we are really selling the majority of our beer, you know, the overwhelming majority of our beer, just through our tasting room. I think it takes us a little bit longer to, to reach people out in, in the Metro, um, you know, Kansas city is a spread out town, sure. um, you know, and, and it's heavily populated on both sides of the state. So it's also a tricky town for, for distribution in that way. So, um, but yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and, you know, it's for us, it's all about, you know, connecting with people and having them come in here and getting to know us and getting to, um, and you know, through getting to know us, they get to know our beer. Yeah. Well, you have a interesting kind of um, multi-pronged approach to, to brewing, um, the styles that you choose to brew and how, where you find those influences, how you build those things. Clearly, you've got an R&D background and you're used to, to tinkering and playing. And I want to delve into some of those things along with that kind of you know, building that creative vision for the brewery. But before we do that, the world of craft beer is a different place now. Margins are more important than ever. So why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brand, so economies of scale keep prices low for their bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, what if you could take your favorite recipe and make a non-alcoholic version without sacrificing the flavor, color, or beer quality? N.A., no problem. The Alchemator from ProBrew uses proprietary membrane technology to strip the alcohol from the beer without sacrificing all of the elements like flavor and color that make the beer great. Are you ready to brew like a pro? The Alchemator from ProBrew. N.A., no problem. Email contact at probrew.com for more info. And of course, if you do that, tell them you heard it here on the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. We would appreciate that. So Nick, talk to me about this. You guys decide to start a brewery. You know where you want to do it. You want to bring it back to your hometown of uh, Kansas City. Um, how do you decide on what beers to make, who the audience is, you know, is going to be, you know, what, uh, you know, what approach you want to take to this? Yeah. So when we moved back, I knew that, uh, there was a lot of opportunity for making IPA and there is everywhere. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's a super risky proposition. I yeah. think we should make IPA. I think we should make IPA. Um, but I, I did also really want to just keep making lager. I was really inspired by lager in, in the Pacific Northwest and, uh, just my time at Fremont and not even just that, just going up and down that, that part of the country and, and drinking fantastic loggers from all over. Obviously we talked earlier about some of those breweries and, um, so that no one else heard that earlier conversation, yeah. but, uh, yeah, we were uh, talking about Chuck and nut who was closing their Bellingham brewery and uh, focusing and expanding at the South nut down in uh, Skagit. Yeah. And, uh, I, I really got the itch for making loggers up there and it was just I think it, it really suits my personality. I'm it, it's very like controlling in a, like a good way, but like the details really matter. And that's the same approach we take here, given like the equipment that we have and, and giving like the raw materials that we can get our hands on. And I just love that really methodical approach to lager brewing. And I thought that there was an opportunity in Kansas city because it's a Midwest town and people, you know, typically Lager's really well received. This here. state makes a lot of lager. Yeah. There's there's just a, a, little a bit. certain brewery that brews <laughs> a whole lot of lager in the state of Missouri. Yeah. Um and then of course you've got Casey Beer Co. over here that's also yeah. carving out this niche with a very you know German focused kind yeah, of approach make- to lager brewing. Um you know, that's a lot of pressure, especially for a new young brewery trying, you know, starting out and trying to tackle a difficult beer style 
that you'll be judged immediately on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know everybody says this, but it really does, you know, there's flaws show themselves pretty, pretty, uh, apparently in, in lager brewing. And, um, you know, that's not to say like, we've learned a lot. I think it's, it's the style itself. And I would like to say that, you know, we, we really make mostly pilsners. Um, we're not so much doing a lot of the maltier lager styles, and uh, we've learned so much. Your audience still wants some hops, huh? Yeah, yeah. So you know, we've learned a lot over the last two and a half years, and, and there's been a lot of uh, you know reassessing our our utilizations on the brew house and and looking at that and fine tuning. And I think what you see is just these really incremental changes can have uh, you know great downstream effects, and that is something that we're always working on. And we don't really have this set recipe where it's like, all right, well, that's, that's it. That's exactly what we do every time. Now it's always like, okay, well, let's rethink how we want to use our hops on the hot side right now. And, and, you know, our water changes a lot here. So we're always playing around with our acidulated malt. And so all those factors, uh, you know, are constantly at bay uh, on top of, of the other things that are, we, you know, we consider it really important, like, you know, yeast viability, um, and making sure that, that we have plenty of healthy yeast for those sure. long extended fermentations. Let's talk about some of those tweaks, but before we do that, let's talk about, let's go back to square one. You want to make lagers. Where do you find that inspiration? You know, where, uh, you know, how did you go about deciding what those lagers were going to be? And where did you pull from to say, I would love to make our own version of this and then go through a process to try to create a beer like that? Yeah. So I've, what's that creative process feel yeah, like? For I you? mean, I've always loved Czech style Pilsner because of just the bitterness and um, the depth of it. I think it's just personally been one of my favorite lager styles. And we were doing some of that up at, up at Fremont, trialing that and just drinking a lot of the lagers from uh, Chuck and Nut. And, you know, I, I always saw that as if we're going to make a lager successful in Kansas City, like let's, let's go that route. And I love the malt that we use from Wireman is, is great. And it's always been one of my, my favorites of their catalog. And then Sots Hops. Are, which, which malt is that? We really just like their Bohemian Pilsner mm-hmm. and their, yeah. floor, their floor malted. It's wonderful, wonderful malt. Yeah. Um, and then Sots Hops, it's, it's so simple. It's seemingly simple. Right. But I feel like every batch for us, I just pick up something really different. And it's, it's really changed my mind on, on, you know, hop quality and what we even know as, as American brewers about using noble hops in making lager in the U S I, I think it's, it's one of those things that's that, you know, when we go to selection here in Yakima, we're, we're always selecting for these really big, bold, expressive hops. And to say that, you know, I can pick out what I like about these noble varieties. I think the learning curve is really steep on that. And it's something that, you know, as a small brewer that hasn't had exposure or ever selected hops in, in Europe, I'm still learning a lot about. Right. And, and the quality, like, what are we getting? What are we sourcing? And how do we make sure that we're getting better and better hops every time? And it really makes a difference batch to batch. Yeah. How do you define those things? And, and, uh, for some context, a couple weeks ago, uh, we did our best and our yearly best in beer editorial tasting for our top 20 beers in, of 2020 with Stan Hieronymus and, and Kate Bernat in our office in, in Fort Collins. And uh, I heard that comment from Stan over and over again about hops quality. You can taste the hops quality or you could taste the lack of hops quality. Yeah. Um, and it was very, it's very interesting to consider that question in the scope of something with that kind of noble approach, um, understanding how to carry that character through that you're looking for and what's going to come from the rub and make it into the beer and what kind of way, you know, as you have been evaluating these uh, and working to improve your Pilsners, um, what have you found through that selection that has helped you make those improve? Well, there's two parts to that. I think first and foremost, it's, you know, we find lots that we really like from who we can buy hops from. And then 
we make sure we can keep getting them. Yeah. That's probably the most important thing. Cause without that, it doesn't really matter. And, and we, Oh, cause if it has to change every year, then yeah. yeah. And also utilization, seeing what plays better, uh, on the mid palette, you know, we have a two vessel system. So a lot of the times, you, you know, we're boiling and we're pulling the same vessel and everybody knows that their utilizations are different, um, dependent on, you know, gravity, you know, the work gravity, you know, batch size, you know, just overall boil time, everything. So we've really worked to dial that in and they're not huge adjustments, but they're drifting in one way or not. And then we've also taken, you know, feedback that we, that we get on the beers and, and, and use that to, to always try and improve them. Let's talk about some, you know, parameters. Now, of course you're talking about hoppy beers with a strong, you know, a, a component blending floral, you know, typical floral noble character with bitterness. Um, but also building that malt character with a little bit of sweetness to help, you know, cut and support that or a little, you know, and yeah. sell that malt character is pretty important. Um, where do you, you know, land generally in your, you know, Czech Pilsner in terms of IBU, finishing gravity, et cetera? Yeah. So at first we were targeting higher than, or about 40. And that was when we first started bringing on the system, 40 BU. And it well, that's why Joe likes it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually have dropped that over time. He'd probably try to talk you into you know pushing it past fifty <laughs> if he could. But, I yeah. think it actually came in higher than forty. Yeah. Um, those initial batches uh, were just. I think we've had a great, you know, uh, we've had a good trajectory in in our lager brewing in terms of figuring out what works and what doesn't, but also. Um, just playing around with more hot side additions, like in the boil. And that has really pushed some different flavors that we feel like are important. Kind of these, you know, earthy, like lemon rind, um, like kind of bright herbal character, if that even makes Mm -hmm. sense. So we've worked on that. And, um, what, uh, what, what have you done to optimize that in terms of hot side or we've you know, added early, more, later, uh, more? We typically do all of our additions later in the boil. So we like to really add starting at like such an American brewery. I know it's like, <laughs> I know IPA hopping, you know, like traditional IPA hopping, sure. but, uh, not traditional, but uh, more West coast style. But we we do that and just see what works for us on our system. And I think that, you know, everybody's so different. Everybody's system is so different. So there's not one trend way to do it, but that's what works for us. Later, later hopping, pushing more aroma. What kind of hop volume, um, you know, are you pushing into, say, a Czech Pilsner? Like uh, pounds per barrel. Oh, pounds per barrel. Um I don't know if I can calculate that. You do I, math right on the fly right here. <laughs> it's, you know, we don't use a lot, but usually our, our, our sots that we get in is anywhere. It's typically hovers around, uh, three and a half to 4% alpha, but sots is a crazy hop because oftentimes like our, our beta is higher than our alpha. Mm. And, um, and I think for that hop in particular, you, you know, I, I'm very curious about when we look at like COAs and all that. And, you know, we have all these like really great hot processing facilities in the U S and also in Germany. Um, sometimes I, I think we've, we've gotten burned on a couple, couple lots of, of yeah. nobles that, you know, swung on maybe the year before and, uh, and just, uh, didn't end up how we wanted it to. So we don't do that anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> now is it all contracted or are you just, um, we, we don't have contracts right now just cause we don't, I don't think we're pretty have, small. We're yeah. pretty small. Yeah. Um, but we found a couple suppliers that we really like what they're bringing in. So we do, we stick with that. Yeah. Are there any farms in particular that, uh, you find are particular standouts? Uh, I don't know the farm names oh, okay. just cause they're, I don't, <laughs> I don't know anyone in the Czech Republic. So sure. Um, sure. but yeah, I, I think, uh, the stuff that we've sourced through, um, various, various folks and even through like Hollingberry have been great. Mm-hmm. You know, we've gotten in really good stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, gravity. Where do you where do you land on that? Gravity. Um, and you're not decocting if you've got a two vessel system, right? We're not decocting. I figured. Do you, you want me to talk about that now or later? Oh, we can talk about that now. Oh, I mean, okay. so what, what's your finishing gravity? Finishing today? gravity. Um, you know, we're typically right around uh, two and a half Plato. Sometimes a little lower. Sometimes a little higher. We're mm -hmm. actually experimenting a little bit with finishing a touch higher. Yeah. So that's what we're working on right now. Hmm. Yeah, just carry over more more of that malt character. Right, right. Yeah. So decoction? We do not decoct. Um, Looking at your system back there, <laughs> I can tell you don't decoct. <laughs> uh, it feels like an insult. Um, yeah, but, you know. It would be, but our judges gave your premiums check Pilsner <laughs> like, what, a 97, I think? I mean, it was a. Yeah, that seems to be the real hot debate right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know. And we have talked to plenty of brewers on both sides of that equation. Yeah. Some who are dogmatically uh, assured that there is no other way to make great lager, and others who are like, "Are you fucking kidding me? There's no <laughs> way I'm going to decoct. I don't need to do that. I can accomplish that other ways." Yeah, and, and I've so, had brewers yeah. that do both, and they both make great beer. Absolutely. So absolutely. Um, you know, we, any we, given year, your gold medals can go to e brewers with either approach. It's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we do what's practical for our system and our setup. And there's a lot of, uh, um, I think there's just so many elements to work on with lager brewing and, and if, you know, your mashing program is, you know, you can't put too much emphasis on only your mashing program for, for our system and our setup. You know, we're also worried about like, we just, I've talked about malt quality, hop quality, you know, fermentation timelines, yeast viability you know, making sure we're getting through proper VDK rest, um, you know, and all those things just, they matter so much. And, and we collect a lot of data on, on that so that we can, you know, have it be repeatable. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's the decoction debate, I guess will always go on. It seems, seems. Well, you know, and are you building malt character in other ways? Are you boiling longer or are there other kinds of, uh, you know, or are you, yeah, I, you, yeah. There's been a couple of podcasts where I've listened to people talking about building malt character on that, and certainly, you know, we we uh, we build malt character with some of the care malts. I appreciate that you you do your research with our podcast. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, you guys have had some really good lager brewers on. Oh, thanks, so, thanks. Um, but yeah, so we use some care malts, and then also we we do you know longer boils, but I don't think anything crazy. Yeah. Um, Overall, I think we keep it really simple for the most part and, and what's, you know, doable on our system and setup. Yeah. There's a nice, you know, we're drinking your German Pilsner right now, but, and it's a, maybe a, a, just a touch sweeter than some of the more, uh, you know, uh, sharply bitter German varieties of, of it. Um, but it also pulls this, a nice, that, that little hint of extra sweetness helps lift that floral character up yeah. and makes it very pleasantly drinking beer um and so the gestalt of it is uh you know something that's enjoyable you yeah know, uh, to drink how do you visualize that so for this beer in particular the purpose of this was to be a little bit more bavarian inspired and to me that just means a really nice harmony of malt and hop character together it is not this crispy trend that's, you know, is gripping uh, yeah. American lager brewing right now. It is um, not, I would never describe this as crispy. So it does finish pretty dry, but you know, the hops that we use on it, I think are more traditional for uh, Bavarian style Pilsner. Mm -hmm. And we also do a North German style Pilsner, which is one of my favorites. And, and we, we tackle the the hopping rate on that more similar to like a check pills. Um, but this one's just meant to be a little bit more balanced and not as assertive with the hop character. So that, you know, when we think about that, you know, for me, German Pilsner always has um, a really nice sort of this like dried bouquet floral component to it that I love. And I think you get that out of um, particular hops. So that was, yeah. that's our goal with it. I mean, um, I think, hop character also just balances malt sweetness in such a pleasant way. Sure. Sure. Let's talk about 
tweaks. You know, you mentioned that this is these are works in progress and that you are constantly evaluating and, and moving and tweaking. Um, talk to me about a couple of those biggest impact things that you've changed over the last couple of years that had that bigger downstream impact. Yeah. So uh, one of the biggest things that we have to always worry about and that we're very keen on is our pHs. Uh, Kansas City water changes a lot and we have really high pH water here. So we're always worried about that and we're always adjusting acidulated malt. Luckily for us, we you know, we will do two turns typically for a lager. So why acidulate a malt instead of just an acid addition? Are you, you're not Ryan Heitzkevot, are you? We are not Ryan Heitzkevot, okay. but, uh, I don't know. I just really like it. I think that the acid additions, they certainly work. And I've done that in the past. I really just like using acidulated malt. Um, and you know, our louder pHs stay in check the whole time. And so that's, that's what's worked for us. Like, I was talking about earlier, you know, it's just practically that's, you know, I don't want to really dose our, we don't really dose like our HLT with lactic or anything like we don't pre-acidify our, our strike water or anything like that. Um, so we use that as a element of control. Um, but we do have to be really sensitive to, to how things are changing. Um, so keeping pH is really dialed in. Um, do you test that with every, every brew? Uh, we don't necessarily test that with every brew. We run a lot of water analysis. Yeah. Um, we send, we send off water analysis, but also we can tell in like all our beers when things shift. Yeah. And so we're, it's already like on the cusp. So we're already thinking about it. And then, you know, when a lot by, by that time it's too late because you've already <laughs> brewed the beer. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, we, we, you know, we don't, we're not making like a lot of adjustments yeah. downstream on these beers. So we really want to hit it right there. Right. Um, and then, you know, that's also, we have a lot of conversations. We sit around and talk a lot about, you know, where do we want to try and finish at this time and, and, you know, pH wise and gravity and, and those are, those are just the small tweaks that I think every brewery is doing, but it, you see the impact in lager, I think a lot more dramatically just finishing, you know, a few tenths higher. Um, and what, how that, like, like you said earlier, how that plays off hop character and, you know, so pH, I think is one of our biggest tweaks. I think the other one is what we talked about earlier is, is hop utilization, um, and hop sourcing. That's a big one. Uh, what's a pH finish at for, for these pilsners? Um, on this one or on our check pills, we're typically around, um, a little below four, four, but sometimes we've finished a little higher and I know there's a lot of, or there is some debate on finishing pH on lager too, and it not being the right character and, um, you know, if it's too high and, and so, you know, I, I can't safe. I had a great conversation with Julian Trigo about that after we recorded the podcast a couple of weeks ago <laughs> yeah. uh, down in Long Beach. And yeah, he had some, some good opinions about that. So. But I mean, it, it's also important for every style, right? Yeah. So that's something that we're constantly working on and, you know, coming in and checking and saying like, okay, well, we finished here. You know, how, you know, do we like that better than the last batch? You know, should we work more towards that? And, um, you know, have, have we seen any, you know, has the res response from the customers been, customers been any different? And, and then that's how we kind of settle on where we want to be at. But like I said, everything's always changing here. It's never really the same. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, for those that are embarking in lager brewing, you know, what, uh, what are the handful of most important things that you find are just those kind of key crux moves that are the difference between success and failure? Man, it's uh, a really good question. Water quality for sure. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, you know, really knowing your water, you know, or getting your minerality and checked where you want it to be. I know a lot of people like to brew to city profile and all that. Um, but that's important. I think for us, European malt has worked best. Sure. I really like the character that European malt brings to the table. Uh, we don't really use any, we don't use North American malt for, for lager brewing. Um, also, 
I think fermentation temperature, uh, aeration, and overall yeast viability is so, so important. And we use three different lager strains here at the brewery. And we have enough record keeping that we know how each behaves. And there are pretty significant differences between the three. Um, not even just an attenuation. I'm talking about like how the fermentation timeline goes and then experimenting with, all right, let's just drop this a degree and see. And sometimes we can use that as an element to slow down the fermentation if it's mm. going too fast. So that's that's been really cool. That That's a new realm f- for me as a yeah. brewer that that's really fun. But I can't say that there's one... You know, one single element, it sure, all really sure. matters. <laughs> indeed, indeed it does. Um, what are these, you know, the next steps for you with your lager program? What are the, the, the you know, the next pieces that you are looking to, you know, kind of tweak and subtly move uh, in order to make these just ever so slightly better? So, you know, with... Really, our premium, our check pills is if we were to have a flagship, that would certainly be it. You know, it's hard to deny that we're, you know, we're a small brewery and we also cater a lot to a crowd that wants something new all the time. So within that, we are producing a lot of different lagers as well. Some uh, traditionally inspired and some not. So I think keeping that rotation for us is really important. Um, the only thing that is hard is and this a, is a real challenge because just, you brew under a thousand barrels a year. I yeah. mean, it's a small brewery. Yeah. So right now we're releasing a lager about every three to four weeks. And so the good thing about that is that we have, we have like a lager crowd that comes in here to drink that. And so they're getting something new every three to three weeks, but it also keeps, you know, we can keep our cooler stocked with it. It's what people want to come back to. Um, and at the same time, you know, like premium, we're always getting to adjust and tweak. And we know that, um, that beer will, it's always like our top seller in the tasting Hmm. room. Um, and maybe it's that magical side pole faucet, but, um, we really, really, everybody here loves brewing that beer, making that beer, drinking that beer. So, that's the one that has been definitely championed um, from the beginning. But, you know, I encourage our brewers to, you know, like look at these more historical styles and how can we do like a little small trial of that. And we did a, our, you know, our first check dark lager last year and, and it was really well received, um, you know, amongst our customers and, amongst us and actually that, yeah, that was sent in to craft beer and yeah, brewing. Yeah, you, so. guys, you guys did all right with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember when you told me that that was your first try at that. Uh, we had, to, we just scratch our heads a little bit, <laughs> but um, you know where, where it's going. Uh, you know, I just, that's also up to uh, the customer just still keeping for sure. Um, having more interest in it. Well, since we've uh, talked about lagers now, let's switch and talk a little bit about Hazy IPA, another thing that you all do extraordinarily well. Before we do that, looking for a good lager yeast, Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, provides brewers large and small with the most complete portfolio of dry lager yeast available anywhere. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com, F-E-R-M-E-N-T-I-S, Fermentus.com. Also, as a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with the hassle caused by contamination, recalls, and downtime. Clarion makes food-grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best, pouring out great tasting beverages. Learn more at clarionlubricants.com. So yeah, hazy IPAs. Uh, it's a nice it's a study, thing. A study in contrast here. And uh, and we honestly haven't talked about hazy IPA recently. So uh, So let's dive in. There are a lot of different approaches 
it's a hazy IPA these days. You know, we are tasting this breadth of it that, you know, what began as a New England style IPA uh, is now being expressed in a whole heap of different ways from hazy West Coast IPAs um, you know, to, to varying shades of uh, finishing gravities that can range anywhere from two to six, you know, or maybe more depending on the, you know, in some of those double IPA realms. Um, different hops expressions, some, you know, following a very, uh, uh, you know, kind of traditional American approach, others uh, focusing on, uh, you know, kind of Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand approach, others pumping the citra and providing this kind of juice approach. Let's talk a little bit about how you developed an approach to hazy IPA for alma mater so that it, uh, um, you know, was attractive to this audience here in Kansas City and also felt exciting. Yeah. Um, but also maybe not exactly the same as what other brewers are brewing. Yeah. So we really have two lanes of, of hazy IPA that we do. Um, the first would be the new England style, which is water profile, more chloride driven, higher finishing gravity, you know, later use of, of hops and, you know, in the whirlpool and dry hopping. Uh, and then the other style, which we haven't really put a name on. Uh, I guess it's just like our house style, which is still hazy, but finishes a lot drier and has more hot side addition. And that's, you know, what we're drinking right now is more of like our house style. So this is a Sim Simcoe Amarillo um, hazy IPA that we do that finishes about six and a half percent. And so those two styles here at least coexist and um, definitely the New England style and for like our double IPAs we're certainly always playing around with finishing gravities on those and also just uh whirlpool utilization. Um, uh, you know, for, for these, I guess house style, or I don't know what you'd really call it, but you know, we're finishing a lot lower and we have a more balanced water profile with those. Let's talk about the kind of frameworks for each of these. Um, are they similar malt bills for both? No, uh, they are similar in a sense, but I would say that the New England styles are uh, a bit more like protein heavy. Um, okay. We don't use as much, you know, wheat, oats, et cetera. And what would your percentage be in, say, a New England style versus your house style uh, hazy? Typically in the New England styles, we're over 30%. Okay. Um, and then the house style would be more of like a... Um, it, it depends on the beer, but we still push towards 30%, but we're not adding as many different grains. It's a little more straightforward of a recipe. And then we focus on, you know, what I really like is it, to do is have, you know, actual boil additions and hazy IPA, which has kind of become a wow interesting thing. Lately. Yeah. So, um, I think there's a lot of great hop flavor that comes through on the mid palate by doing that. And, um, you know, we'll back off on Whirlpool if we need to, but personally, I really like drinking those styles, but I also like the softness and the hop expression and New England style as well. But I, you know, they both do really well for us here. What would, uh, the finishing gravity of, a like mid, mid six percentage house hazy IPA typically be for you? Uh, we're typically finishing around... Uh, two and a half Play-Doh. Okay. Yeah. So, right. And, you know, a nice, pretty normal IPA kind of finishing, yeah, even though, it, sure. even though as this one, you know, it's, it's fascinating because as I'm smelling it, I'm expecting it to taste sweeter. Yeah. You know, because it definitely sets that expectation that you might have. And then the, but there's also a intensity in the hops flavor Yeah, that that dryness also helps to, to, to drive. Yeah. And I think that is really what we feel is, is, maybe a more modern interpretation of hazy IPA for, mm -hmm. for at least and, what and we're doing here. At the same time, it's not, it doesn't have the kind of presence and, um, you know, an edge that a clear West coast IPA would have. Yeah. You know, there's definitely that kind of slightly rounded edge to it that allows yeah. you to, you know, to kind there's of more yeast expression as well. Yeah. Which plays into, into obviously it, that's played a huge role in, in New England style, but, um, in this too, I mean, we, we're, we are looking for, yeast expression. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. 
Um, let's let's talk about it. so you know, in terms of malt. You, I'm curious. I still am curious. Like when you say you add more different specialty malts to your New England style IPA, what would that typically be like? Um, just higher percentages of of wheat and oats. Um, you know, we, we pretty much just rely on our our base malts. Always Pilsner. Yeah. Um, but you know, w- with the uh, like how style, we just we just back down those percentages. I, we wanted to finish drier. We wanted to have a little bit more, um, you know, we're not targeting this like super soft, sweet thing. We want there to be like some assertiveness to the, to the character, to the hop character and, and dryness and, yeah. and, you know, using those amounts of, you know, still being, you know, 25 to 30%. We know it's, I mean, there's still like great protein structure and head, you know, good density on right. head and all that and great lacing. So, um, it's just, uh, I think a little bit simpler on the malt side, but different, but, different mash schedule. Yeah. We'll mash a little lower. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I like. I like to do. And, and really the, the first beer that we did this with was, was trichrome and we've just evolved that, um, you know, a lot of recipes off, off that base, um, you know, off that malt recipe and it, it allows us to play around with hops in a different way. And, and then it also is feeding information into the West coast IPAs that we do get to make, which are, <laughs> are we're getting to make more often. So, yeah. um, that's a great thing. I, I, and you know, it's, it's a different, uh, character, but I, I don't, I can't say that, uh, one is, is favored more than the others. And I think it shows that, you know, how you use hops and the quality of, the hops that you're using and, and the timing can play so much into just being a delicious beer instead of only looking at one element. Like I need to finish really high. Like that to me doesn't make it like even juicier. Like we've had beers that finish at like two, 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 three. And the hop character is just so great that people are like, this is, this is juicy. Like this is great. And theoretical BUs and all that is way higher than our New England style IPAs. So what you're telling me is that the hops choice itself, the variety, but even like what that lot might be. And I think how you line up water profile too. Yeah. You know, Um, and that's always for us, you know, uh, something that we're working on. Like, should we, do we need, you know, let's, we trial, you know, a little bit more chloride, a little bit more sulfate. You know, we don't use a ton of gypsum, but, um, it, it helps it. There's a, like, there's a reason I, I mean, I came from a brewery where, you know, the Northwest is great at using gypsum. Um, mm-hmm. and I know the industry at large has steered away from it lately, but there is good character that comes out of using that. And, uh, and I think blending, you know, really evaluating your water is what you should be doing to, get your hops to express themselves the best that they can and set that stage. When you say that, what do you find in water um, dulls that hop expression versus what in that water really helps those hops sing? Yeah. So I think gypsum does a great job at uh, pushing our aroma and flavor on hops. And obviously chlorides are great for that fullness and sweetness that come through, but you know, that, that blend is a moving target for us of, of what we like and how our water analysis is coming back. But, you know, there, that's not to say that we've had, you know, some of our most aromatic batches are, are, you know, maybe higher than you would think amounts of, of gypsum in in the beer. So, Mm. and just overall, like hop, character like that i said mid palate bitterness earlier but like i really think there's like a true flavor that sings in that you know is important to ipa in a traditional sense that sometimes um, a lot of ipas that are only hopped super late it it, sometimes it just feels a little one-dimensional where you're just not getting like true flavor right right it's just like an aroma bomb so what, what's your solution to that? Um, adding hops in the boil. When? Late. How late? Pretty late. 
how late is pretty late. <laughs> uh, you say boil, so I assume it's not the whirlpool, but yeah. Yeah, no. Um, Are you talking about five-minute editions, 10-minute editions? Uh, we like to stay below 20 minutes. Yeah, okay. So, but, you know, it's, again... Back to uh, I, I hear you and I agree with you. I think that, you know, that becomes the the interesting challenge that everybody faces. And we, and we also just went through you know, reviewing uh, kettle sour beers and this, it's the same piece there. You can have a beer that's singularly fruity and yet the things that make the best iterations of those stand out are just those interesting, small, slight piece, those edges within it that, tell additional stories you yes. know that give you some additional pieces to kind of hang on to in the middle there and i think it's the same kind of thing with this kind of ipa that you know in in one sense building that kind of textural familiarity like that idea of what this you know hop flavor is and how it sits on your tongue because even though this is soft and it brings that kind of aroma piece out as you smell it as you drink it like it has that firm bitterness or a little bit of it that yeah. uh, is also reassuring as someone who drinks IPAs and I'm, and you know, and so I think it makes it more drinkable too, right? Well, there's just, it's a touchstone of familiarity, I think. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, we all have sense memories that we call back on in varying ways. And so, you know, as, as we drink something like this, that as simultaneously feels new, but also has this moment of connection to something that we're familiar with. And yeah. so, you know, that's an interesting way to kind of, to build that. And so, you know, and I mean, we describe it when we're tasting these hazy IPAs and reviewing them, like, I, you know, there are characters like sweaty BO locker room, which sound terrible to normal people, you know, but in the context of this sweet tropical fruit thing, like yeah. a little bit of sweaty locker rooms, not, it's not a bad thing. It actually, actually yeah, adds I mean, this element of balance. You ever to the like papaya, guava, like, I mean, it has those elements. It does. It's it does. Funky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, who hasn't, giving themselves a smith a sniff and now and then just to you know see how you smell like sometimes we actually like our smells more than we might claim we like our smells this is going an interesting direction <laughs> we'll see if any of this makes it through editing um you know in terms of hops choice that's also a piece there um you know are there uh, different ways that you select and choose blends of hops between say your house style hazy and your new England style hazies? You know, I think we have a few pillars that aren't unique to what everybody else uses. Right. right. Citra, Mosaic, Cinco. Right. I'm really on the Strata train. I love Strata. It's a great hop. It's like if all three of those pr prior hops had a baby, it would be yeah. Strata. But, you know, so we use those as, as foundations and then with how we make beer here and our audience, they want to try and see new stuff. So whether we're bringing in New Zealand hops, whether we are doing some of these cool new HBC varieties, that is always an element that we're playing around with. Um, and then finding special lots like this, a lot of Amarillo we really like is, is Oregon grown. Yeah. Um, and we're just like, we've said it, in a lot of social media posts and I'm like, I'm back on the Amarillo train. Like it's awesome. Yeah. And it has this orange Ryan character that I think we've been missing from a lot more of these really like late harvest mm. dank, you know, hops that it's just, it's not there all the time. Amarillo was so hot in like 2011, 20, 2010, 2011, 2012, you know, it was, it was the great hope at that point. Yeah. It stopped living up to that for a little while, but uh, it's fun to hear that it's back. What do you think is the difference? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just pure evaluation and trying it. I mean, I've heard a few comments around the industry about some of the stuff coming out of Oregon and we gave it a try and we really liked it. And we thought it added an element into Beers across all styles of the IPAs we're making. I think Amarillo is a fantastic hop for obviously West Coast IPA, but you know it, we've been using it more in in hazies, and it just this lot that we use in particular has just really given us this nice orange zest element that we've been looking for. 
Nice, nice. And then, you know, there's definitely some of that kind of mosaic pineapple in there too. Yeah. And, um, let's talk about fermentation with hazy IPAs. What, uh, you know, obviously if you've come out of that Fremont R&D approach, they've got, uh, uh, they make uh, some pretty fantastic hazy IPAs that are shelf stable, packaged, or, you know, and then yeah. get out there into wider distribution. You don't certainly have the same kind of challenge here at Alma Mater since most of your beer is sold right out of the tap room. And so gives you some flexibility to kind of experiment and play around that kind of thing. Yeah. What, uh, you know, where do you find yourself with that? You know, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I think, yeah, we just target, obviously we sell most of it at the taste room, like you said, but yeah, I mean, we don't, our losses on those beers are so massive. <laughs> like sure, we do sure. not have a centrifuge and, and I think, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question, but our, it, our audience is is captive with them, and they're always all. I'm always surprised how much people want to like try out new things and like like learn about new hops. And obviously, as brewers, we have new hops coming our way all the time now, which is really exciting. And I think that just from being out in Yakima last week, it's certainly a challenge for the breeders and and all of that. But um, they're they're you know have open arms about it. <laughs> sure. Sure. What I'm trying to, to get to Nick is a lot of people, everyone's making hazy IPAs generally right now. Even people that said they'd never make a hazy IPA just yeah. because, and you know, and that's not a, a mark against them. It is oftentimes a signal, symbol of evolution that a lot of brewers that swore they would never do this have started tasting and smelling beers that have changed their minds about those kinds of things mm -hmm. and seeing the opportunity to test themselves, to explore and, and, you know, uh, play with flavor in a different way. Um, you know, it's not a mark against someone that no, now they're making hazy IPA like, Oh yeah, people grow and change. Yeah. And it's good that people are. Um, but having said that with so many people making them, what sets yours apart? Well, I think cause they're good. Yeah. And I think it goes back to like the root of IPA, which is freshness is, is, so important and we have like i said a captive audience that can get incredibly fresh ipa here um and you you're know, making small amounts of it so they're, they're drinking fast and then you're making a yeah. new batch and and i think you know what sets ours apart is we do i would say i have a little bit more of a west coast approach to making ipa in general even with our like both kind of lanes of ipa that hazy ipa that we brew i really like west coast hop profiling <laughs> And so I, we always lean a little on the, uh, you know, more like dank punchy side of things, but you know, I think that's, that's definitely what sets us apart. I think that we, you know, we source really good hops for, for how small we are. And I think that, you know, we offer, I, I think they, you know, my number one goal here is to, bring people in and have them trust our beers and feel like we're making consistent beer. Um, that is void of obviously off flavors, but that they can come in and, and once they get introduced to our beers, they're kind of like, you know, they can try out everything and, and feel comfortable under that umbrella. Um, so a lot of the times, you know, the great thing about hazy IPA has been, it's brought in so many non IPA drinkers into the, into the style category. Yeah. And I think that for me has just showed how important IPA is to American craft brewing and it's uh, longevity. So, you know, we have so many people that also come in here that, yeah, like I said, aren't IPA drinkers and they can try this and it's a different expression. It's a different interpretation of IPA than what they're used to. And to me, that is important for this market. I think, you know, what makes us different? Like there's a lot of people in, in Kansas city brewing hazy IPAs, like there is everywhere in the country. But, um, you know, I just hope that people feel with ours, there's it's consistent and it's, you know, they feel like it's quality and that, you know, they're able to, you know, it has good pack, um, uh, you know, package life and can hold up well and, and that they, just trust what we're doing if, if they like hazy IPA, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, offering 
thoughts to brewers embarking on the on you know brewing hazy IPA. Um, you know, again, like like we discussed on Lager, what are those key takeaways that you know you find the the things that make the biggest difference in the end quality? Water. <laughs> um, water. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, I for us we care so much about every detail so it's it's not really that different let's dive into water there is there some sort of limit on total dissolved solids that you shoot for or are you pushing them up to a certain level or are you uh you know are there certain types of sulfite sulfates and chloride yeah i mean and gypsum that you really favor yeah i mean we're we really like to play more around at like a two to one chloride to sulfate ratio um for a lot of things um and when I say water, it's, it's really like understanding your water and knowing how to work with it. Like not everyone has Pacific Northwest water where it's just super sure. neutral and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And so I think manipulating the Denver reservoir water. Yeah, yeah. must be nice. Um, but that's important. I think that, uh, you know, understanding what works best on your system. Uh, do you want to, you know, knock down, do you like knocking down your whirlpool temp? Do you know, do you do we do you uh, maybe <laughs> are you cool pooling? <laughs> uh, we do cool pool a little bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I really like that term. That's a cool term. It sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Cool pool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Andy. Who invented that? I think Andy from Great Notion was the first one who cool pool. said that to me. Um, I, I'm, I, he may not, I'm sure he didn't invent that term, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Not on everything though. But yeah, yeah, I definitely like it. It's a really cool technique. And, um, when you cool pool, what do you tend to get down to? Um, we target <laughs> depends on our brew house efficiencies, but, um, we typically target like 185 to 180. Yeah. So pretty standard for what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would love to do more sensory analysis trials on that to see you know, the real impacts that we're making. I'm sure there's studies out there on it. Um, but are you sure uh, there's gotta be, <laughs> there's gotta be, but you know, on other stuff we, we don't. And I think it's not to say that one thing is better than the other. So, yeah. Yeah. But somehow whatever you're doing is making some good beer. And so I'm yeah. just trying to, to <laughs> figure out the way inside. Where's the magic? Where's the secret sauce, Nick? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh, just try and be consistent. Sure. Sure. Well, zooming out a bit, uh, in the big picture, what's the, what's the ultimate goal for Alma Mater? You know, you've, you've put your own last name now on this brewery. (laughs) And so you're, you're staking yourself into it also, you know, you and your wife own the brewery and, uh, you know, I don't have anyone to carry it on either. Just a dog. Oh yeah. (laughs) But you're young. You got a lot of years left in you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, so the next chapter for us, it's, it's a really, uh, good point. So, you know, my wife, Tanya has, has, like I said earlier, worked in nonprofit and, uh, foundation work and just made the big jump to come here full, full time. So that's exciting. Um, you know, we really feel like we're entering a new chapter and, and in that new chapter, we've got a uh, beer in barrels that's been in barrels for about 18 to 20 months. So that's, wow. that's what's next for us. Um, you know, stouts, barley wines, um, some brown ale bases, and we're no, really no sour beer though. No sour beer. <laughs> no, you're wearing a cultured and yeast crooked stave <laughs> t-shirt right now. So, uh, you learned your lesson there. This huh? shirt's probably contaminated. <laughs> um, but yeah, no sour beer for us, uh, right now, yeah. but, but yeah. you know, also, um, yeah, this is just like a such, we're so young and I feel like I hate to, I'm not blaming anything on COVID, but it's, it's definitely tr- changed our trajectory and how we thought things were going to, were going to be in. And, and, you know, we moved things around in the right way and, and we're doing just all right. But, you know, moving forward, it's, it's about getting more people into our tasting room, experiencing our beer. Um, and you know, so probably trying to get a little bit more kegs out into the market, um, but also, you know, just finding ways to connect more with people and to, we rely so much on word of mouth as a small brewery. Right. And you just can't, you know, 
we don't have this massive marketing budget or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, here's some word of mouth for you right here <laughs> on this very podcast. G and D chillers will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. Set your compass by RAR North star pills. The craft concentrate blends from old orchard are packed with real fruit first. And a beer is no problem with the alchemator from pro brew. Try those dry lager yeasts from Fermentus and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion lubricants. Of course, if you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button. If you're a pro brewer, consider all, all access pro subscriptions uh, that combine magazine and video content along with uh, uh, early release digital stories uh, as well from great writers like Stan Hieronymus, Kate Bernat, uh, Ben Keen, our managing editor, Joe Stang. If people want to learn more about Alma Mater, Nick, where do they find you all? Uh, they will find us. So our, our handles are Alma Mater Brewing on Instagram and Facebook, and then Alma Mater Brew on Twitter, and then almamaterbrewing.com is our website. Uh, we try and keep an up-to-date draft list and to-go list up on there. Um, and we don't try, we do it. We, it's up to date every week, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's it for right now. And, and if you're, you know, Kansas city, I just have to advocate for Kansas city. You know, it's a great up and coming beer town. And I think for a lot of Midwesterners, they should really be thinking about making a trip to you know, great food, great beer, um, make a weekend trip out of coming to town and, and checking out what's going on here. There's a little bit of barbecue here. A couple yeah. of places. It's not as good as Memphis, and it's not <laughs> as good as Austin in Central Texas. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, but it's for number three. It's not bad. Oh man, <laughs> that's that's a good way to get somebody from Kansas City worked up. <laughs> oh, hashtag triggered. Yeah, Nick, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's of been course. fun to talk to you about brewing. Cheers, thanks, Jimmy. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.